If you've got your Bibles, can you open with me to John 6? And I'm reading from verses 25 to 35. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You were looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe it? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Thought you were coming to preach, brother. I'd step down. Um, it's great to, uh, to come together, as I mentioned before, to gather together for communion, for worship, for prayer, for teaching, to spend time in God's word. And there's a, uh, another gathering at 11.15 where you have that opportunity to, to worship and share in communion too. Nobody in... Uh, in this particular instance, nobody had a phone in their pocket. Nobody had seen the news on the TV the night before. No one received the text or the email. Nobody had sent out invitations. In fact, nobody knew where he was. And yet somehow a crowd of over 5,000 people gather to the place where Jesus was. That's pretty much a miracle in itself. Most had walked, some had taken a boat across the Sea of Galilee, some rode their donkey, but they'd found the place where Jesus was. They were looking for him. They were keen to find Jesus. They'd heard stories, they'd, some of them had seen miracles. They were keen to, to find Jesus. They were looking for him. I'm glad that you're here this morning and I trust that you're looking to him. But as this crowd grows in number, as does their hunger, Jesus has compassion on them. And with the assistance of his disciples and their willingness to trust Jesus' instructions, he feeds this huge crowd with just five small loaves and two little fish. Following this extraordinary day of events, Jesus seeks solitude and so he withdraws into the mountains. The crowd, on the other hand, probably spent the night under the stars chatting amongst themselves, talking about the incredible things that they'd witnessed over those last months, and particularly that day, the things that they had seen. And as some suggest, this 
feeding of the 5,000 may well have been the culmination of his teaching the Beatitudes. I spent the night thinking and discussing together what they'd seen and heard. And so the next morning, they're more than keen to once again find Jesus. Where is he now? They must have heard that the disciples had left the evening before for Capernaum. And so into as many boats as they could muster, off they go. They They clambered into those boats, travelled over to the village of Capernaum, and they found Jesus. When did you get here, Rabbi? Their excited question. When did you get here, Rabbi? Jesus, however, doesn't seem so enthralled by their excitement. And his reply almost harsh, almost snappy. I tell you the truth, you were looking for me not because you saw the miraculous signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Doesn't sound so excited as the crowd, does he? You see, Jesus knew the human heart and he knew their motivation and he wanted them to stop and consider these things and he says, you're only looking for me because you had a free feed last night. In fact, you had your fill. You had more than you could eat. We took up basketfuls of food. They were not moved by full hearts of worship and appreciation of God, but moved by full bellies. They wanted ease. They wanted simplicity, comfort without any hardship. They they wanted charity handed to them on a plate. Jesus' desire was that they would want God. And nothing's changed, really. Nothing's really changed. This has always been the position of the human heart. And with the pervasive infiltration of the prosperity gospel into Christianity, and you might think, oh, the prosperity gospel hasn't affected me, but has it? Pervasive infiltration of the prosperity gospel, we too must be careful to monitor our motivations as we follow Jesus. For many a Christian has left being, being left quite disillusioned when God hasn't given them what they're looking for. Because their focus was on what God could do for them rather than God himself. Well, that's a form of prosperity gospel. What God can do for me. Is what Jesus can do for you more important to you than who he is? Am I following Jesus because I've been told that he will heal me, he'll heal my loved ones, he'll supply not only all of my needs, but he'll prosper me? I believe that my life will be easier if I am following Jesus. Faith, on the other hand, says yes to God when he says no to us, to our requests. Faith, real faith in God, says yes, Lord, when he says, no, I'm not going to do that. Nothing's changed. Jesus' desire is that we will want God, be filled and satisfied in our Father. 
to worship Jesus. Following such a wonderful miracle, Jesus took the opportunity to teach them something new. As is the case with each of these I am statements, Jesus does something and then he teaches I am. They were looking for a life of ease, of daily satisfaction, and so Jesus says to them in verse 27, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. In other words, don't work toward putting all your effort into trying to attain physical food, or the comforts of, of this early lot, earthly life, but rather do the work that is required to attain from the Son of Man food that endures to eternity. Jesus wants them to move beyond pursuing physical satisfaction to spiritual contentment and fulfilment. They were prepared to work to, to find Jesus to follow Jesus to the next town, to be with him because he'd supplied free food. But Jesus says they ought to work for their spiritual life, work on their spiritual life. Their response, however, shows that they didn't understand what Jesus was really talking about and he'd shifted the focus from physical food to spiritual. And he says, work for that. They must ask, well, they they go on to ask, so how do we attain that? What works does God require from us? What do we have to do? Most of us would like to think that if we can do something to earn something, then we deserve it. And we've all learnt that you have to work for a living. You have to work for your reward. You, You have to earn it. There's no freebies in life. And if something sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. And so they ask, what must we do to do the works that God requires? They were yet to understand that eternal life is a gift. Even though Jesus had said, the Son of Man will give it to you. He will give eternal life. This requires nothing in the way of works, but rather belief. And so verse 29, Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The work that God requires is faith, is belief. No works are required because the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life is just that, it's a gift. To believe in the one who declared, I am. To believe in him. God's grace, unmerited favour, his mercy, forgiveness can never be earned or bought. We're never good enough. The work that God requires is simply to believe in Jesus Christ. Still not understanding what Jesus is getting at and still coming from a perspective of works, They asked Jesus, what will you do then? What will you do to help us in our unbelief? It's all about works. They ask, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? 
what will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. I think it's sometimes easy for us on this side of the cross to understand things. We need to try and put ourselves in their position, to see it from their perspective. An early Jewish midrash, now that's, that's like an early commentary on the Old Testament. It shows that the Jews believed that when the Messiah would come, he would provide eternal manna. Just as Moses had provided manna when the children of Israel were wandering in the desert for 40 years, for Moses this, this manna was a mysterious substance that would show up like the dew in the morning, day after day, except on the Sabbath, and it provided for the nutritional needs of the people. Even though God provided in such a supernatural way, this was still plain food. The next day they'd be hungry again, God would have to provide manna once more. But they had an expectation that the Messiah... The Messiah who was coming, and if this was Jesus, who they were now starting to push, let's make him our king, that he would do even greater things than Moses. And so they asked, what will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What are you going to do, Jesus? How are you going to top that? Well, Jesus had fed them all the day before, one day, Moses provided food for 40 years. And their expectation was that Jesus would do even greater things than did Moses, if he's truly the Messiah. Jesus gave bread to 5,000, a huge crowd. Moses gave food, manna, to the whole nation. Jesus gave them ordinary bread. From their perspective, Moses gave them bread from heaven. It fell from the sky. Jesus had done something wonderful, but what will he do now? What's he going to do? You see, they not only wanted their bellies continually filled, but they were looking for a Messiah who they understood would be a wonderful leader, politically militarily, and only for the benefit of Israel. They were looking for signs and wonders from Jesus to confirm that he was that man. What are you going to do, Jesus? Once again, I think there's a warning here for us. Because faith that is based upon signs and wonders can be a faith that can be misguided and easily led into deception. Because the sign becomes the focus and not God himself. Moses gave us bread. What will you do for us? We've experienced this now from you, Lord. What will you do next? What will you do for me next to top that? Always wanting more, looking for a higher high. Some Christians are always looking for the next spiritual experience or blessing rather than looking to God himself. And it's interesting at the end of their question to Jesus, they quote from Psalm 78, 24. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
why I find that is interesting is that that psalm highlights the unbelief and the rebellion of the nation of Israel. And still as a rebellious and faithless people, they're looking for and demanding more from Jesus. What are you going to do for us? We want more. We want bread. We want life. We want more. Beware of the selfish, self-centred nature that lurks within. We can start to expect, we can start to even demand more from God. Jesus' response was not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven that gives life to the world. And again, they wouldn't have understood what Jesus was talking about. The bread that God is now offering is, a, is of a spiritual nature because it is the true bread of heaven. Not physical manner, it's also a gift that is ongoing and is not to the nation of Israel but to the whole world. This is the bread of life. Jesus himself. In 1996, a hazardous expedition to Mount Everest took place and it was a disaster. Many men lost their lives. Some of their circumstances were beyond their control but mistakes also cost them dearly. One of the leaders who lost his life was Andy Harris And he stayed at the peak, past the deadline that all of the leaders had set themselves. The rest went down and he stayed longer. On his descent, he fell into a dire need for oxygen. He radioed his predicament to base camp. He was telling them of his need for oxygen and that he had come upon a cachet of Oxygen cylinders left by other climbers and he told them that they were all empty. Those at base camp who had already passed those canisters on their return knew that they weren't empty. The problem was that the lack of what he needed most, oxygen, so disorientated his mind that he thought that he was surrounded by empty canisters when they were all full. He perished. What oxygen is to the body, the bread of life is to the soul. Without the bread of life, we are disoriented. We're wandering around lost. All other hungers are then improperly perceived. In fact, in like manner, the absence of that bread over a prolonged period makes the bread itself seem worthless. When we pursue the need for bread through any and all other means, they not only dissatisfy, but they blind us to the true bread of life. Thus Jesus declared... In verse 35 and then in verse 40, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. I'm sure the people who were sitting there still didn't have a clue what Jesus was talking about. They were thinking about physical bread, about being hungry in their bellies. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For my Father's will, my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I'll raise them up at that last day. People all over the world searching for meaning, searching for purpose, fulfilment. We want bread, we want life, we want more. We know that there's got to be more. And even for the Christian, Satan keeps luring us away into other avenues that we think will bring fulfilment and contentment. But Jesus is the bread of life. Faith in Jesus means that we'll never go hungry or thirsty again and that our eternal life is secure. How have you been attempting to feel your hunger, not your physical hunger, but the deeper spiritual hunger. How have you been attempting to fill that hunger? Hunger for purpose, hunger to connect with your creator, with your father in heaven who loves you and wants to give to you life in all of its fullness. How have you been attempting to fill that hunger in other ways? Have you been trying to fill that void in your life with the things of this world? Even good things. Food. Clothing, relationships. Other things that become our focus and our, our God. Well, perhaps you've worried about not having these things and you put them before pursuing God. Jesus invites us to come to him to believe in him. Anyone, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. He invites us to come to him, to believe in him, to receive his abundant life. Perhaps you're dry and thirsty, feeling unsatisfied with your life. Let this be an opportunity to come to Christ and to reconnect again to be filled with the Holy Spirit and go on being filled. Maybe you've been asking God for a miracle to prove that he is real to you. May I suggest that you simply look around you. The people who are sitting around you, everyone is a miracle of grace, being transformed by Jesus Christ. When Jesus declared that he is the bread of life, he declared that he alone is the source of everlasting life, that he alone satisfies and he brings life in all of its fullness for us. Now maybe you're thinking the same thing that the crowd thought. What do I need to do to attain that salvation? The answer is simply that you need to receive it. 
And you can do that before we leave today. Jesus said in verse 40, The Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at that last day. That's the Father's will. That everyone who looks to his Son and believes will have eternal life. If there are 100 steps to God, Jesus has taken 99 of them. And the last one is up to you. The last one is up to us. To look to Jesus and believe. I encourage you to do that. If you've not done that before, I encourage you to seek one of us out after the service. But if you've been convicted by the Spirit this morning that you've been chasing after something else other than the bread of life and you're really dissatisfied and you want to reconnect with Jesus, then I invite you to do that too, to come to us and we can pray with you, but you can do that with with Jesus on your own. Let's take a moment in prayer. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. And just in that statement, we recognise that nothing else in this life satisfies. Nothing else takes away our hunger or thirst but Jesus. And we thank you that it is your will, Father, that everybody who looks to your Son and believes in him will have eternal life. We thank you for our salvation. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sin. Thank you for his declaration as being the bread of life and that we need to look to him and believe in him. And so we do that today. May we continue to do that each day and may we be aware of Satan's ploys as he comes along to take the focus away from Jesus to other things. Help us to remain fixed, our eyes fixed on Jesus. And so we give you all the praise and the glory as we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.